Uh, we're going to continue this morning in, in the study of the book of Mark, we're called, we called Cleverly Marked. And we've been talking about in this book for a while, we'll be in it for a while yet uh, longer, but I want to remind you, and we've done this a few times now, but I want to remind you that, that's where we're going to be today, I'm going to back it up one click here, that we, uh, we are coming now to the end of this time of the apostles having been sent out. So I just kind of lay the groundwork for that real quick. I feel like we've talked about this a lot. There was this time when Jesus called disciples and said, hey, come follow me. And there was this radical thing that Jesus did where he said, I'm going to make you apostles. And then he had this training period, and then he sent the apostles out. And that was just two weeks ago in the series where we remember that Jesus sent the disciples out as apostles. And they went out, and you remember what they did? They healed people, and they preached repentance of sins. They preached that you must change and believe in God, follow God. And so uh, last week we had this kind of caveat about John the Baptist and how he died. And then now today we're going to get back into the story about the apostles uh, returning to Jesus and what that looks like. Today I kind of want to talk about this in a unique way maybe, thinking about the reality of what the uh, disciples and apostles had gone through. And then coming back we're going to hear the clamoring of scripture of all the energy and all the noises happening. And yet in that moment, Jesus encourages, I almost said compels his disciples, his apostles to rest. And that's interesting that he would in that moment say it's time to rest. And as a matter of fact, today I'm going to make a case to say that um, the truth is that when we've done all we could possibly do, we can rest in Jesus. When we don't have anything left to give, we can rest in Jesus. When we're uh, completely worn out, it's not like the same thing, but it's not, we can rest in Jesus. And then lastly, and maybe most difficultly, when the needs go on and on and on, and the opportunities lie before us over, oh, you know, just as long, far as you can see, in that time, it's okay. Matter of fact, we need to learn to rest in Jesus. So I'm going to do what we always do. I'm going to enter into the scripture by praying. Uh, we want to hear from God today, uh, not from any of my wisdom or even your wisdom, but the Lord. We've come to meet the Lord today and live differently because of that. So pray with me, if you would, uh, as he teaches us. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be here today and worship you together again as your people. It's such a blessing to come into your house, this place where your spirit dwells, and just recognize you as Savior amongst the community of faith. Um, you are so good. You are the name above all names. You are holy, completely separate from us. And yet, in your mercy and kindness, you came to save us from sin. We celebrate that today and we proclaim that today, Father God. That we would just rightly see you for who you are as our great Savior and Lord and Rescuer. And then today as we enter into your word, we pray that the same spirit that compelled the activity of the scripture and the same spirit that compelled people to take note of the scripture and record it and preserve it, that that spirit would dwell in us today to be our teacher, that we might um, understand deeply your word today, that we might be transformed, Father. And that is only work that only you can do. Change us today because we've met you. Um, we, we want more of you and less of us. We want to know you more. And we've come here for that purpose today, that we might know you more. May you be glorified as the, your people read your word and ingest it as the food that it is. We love you so much. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you, if you brought a Bible, grab it and turn to Mark chapter 6. If you didn't, you can grab one of ours. And I believe we're on page 703 today. So we're making our way through here. We're going to pick it up right where we left off last week. Mark 6, verse 30. I kind of already 
said where we're going to be here, but understand what's happening. In verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. This is that moment whenever they have come home. I, I think it was quite a radical reality for me to realize a couple weeks ago when preaching this with, you know, together with you that they went on without Jesus and we talked about that. And so here in this moment, after having been sent by Jesus and going on without Jesus, which it seems like a pretty radical, um, almost crazy thing to do, except in obedience to him, those same ones, here they're called what? Apostles, the ones that he sent, have now returned. I love the word here. It gets a little deeper than what the NIV catches because it says they synagogued with Jesus when they returned. I thought it was a really strange thing. You know, we know the Jewish synagogue where people would gather to worship the Lord, Yahweh. They would gather and they would remember and they would celebrate. They still do, many. And that same idea of worship and of celebration, of adoration, of amazement is happening here when the apostles come back to Jesus. You can sense in it the um, excitement, uh, the amazement, the energy that the disciples have when they come back. And you can see what it says. It says when they returned... They began to tell Jesus everything, everything they have done and taught. I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's really, really excited about something, especially maybe after a big trip or a big event. I know some of you went to Winter Jam last night, and I said, how was it? Like, oh, it was really, really good. And, you know, telling the story about what happened and, you know, or just what we experienced here with Chris, you know, all this storytelling, what, what just happened in our lives. And I love that the apostles come to Jesus and begin just to tell him everything. It feels to me very much like a paternalistic relationship there. Coming back, Dad, Dad, you're never going to believe what happened. You, let me tell you about my adventures, which I just ex experienced because you sent me. And I want to make a little bit of a point, and we're going to move on, but a little bit of a point here that they tell him about two things in their life. They tell him about everything that they did. Then we went here, then we went there, then we healed this, then we healed that, then we cast out this demon. Like, they were doing that work. Like, you won't believe it, Jesus, we did this stuff. But then secondly, they told Jesus everything they taught. And then we told them, repent, believe good news, repent, the kingdom of God is near. I think it's helpful for us to remember that they did both of those things. I believe um, often as Believers in Jesus, we fall toward one side or the other. Um, we prefer to teach, maybe, and less to do. We prefer to do, maybe, and less to teach. I love that the apostles came back and said, we did both. We were teaching and doing and doing and teaching. <clears throat> I'm reminded of our witness in the world and that if we go out in the name of Jesus, if we're, we're sent out, if we're apostled by Jesus, hey, would you go into your workplace? And we do great stuff, but we never tell them about Jesus. We never tell them about the truth of the kingdom. We never tell them about the love of God. We somehow failed in our total mission but of course, if we go out into the world, we're telling everyone, hey, believe in Jesus, um, be saved. Uh, you know, he loves you, he comforts you, and we don't do anything. We don't have any behavior that changes because of that. We don't actually become a witness. We, of course, have failed in that same mission. But the apostles have come back, and they're stoked because they've done both. And they're excited to tell Jesus everything that they had done and everything that they had taught. And in this moment, whenever it's like, you know, you can't believe it, you can't believe it, Check out verse 31. Then because so many people were coming and going, they could not even get a chance to eat. Jesus said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and I will give you rest. <laughs> I'm going to give you some rest after your trip. I think it's interesting actually because 
and I'm just going to say this one more time maybe today, but in the Greek, this is the other way around. See here, the NIV kind of says, well, um, because, because so many people were coming, that's why Jesus said, I'm going to give you rest. Actually, in the Greek, it just says, Jesus, I'm going to give you rest. But there were so many people around they could, they, that, that they couldn't even eat. So it's almost this kind of ironic uh, image that you get from the Greek where the disciples are excited. Jesus says, I'm going to give you rest. And they turn around to find rest, and there's no rest to be had anywhere. They can't find it. It's, it's, there's so much um, people, crowds, and pe you know, coming to Jesus that they couldn't even get a meal. Interesting. Because see, the way that Ivy explains it is kind of more, it makes more sense, right? They came back from this trip. They couldn't even get a meal. And Jesus said, hey, let's get out of here. It's a little crazy. Let's find a place to rest. It's instructive that Jesus says before that, he says, no, let's go rest. And then, oh, by the way, we can't find a place here to rest. So many people coming to Jesus. This will become the theme of the text that we find today, that there's so many people coming to Jesus that they can't find any place to eat. There's an overarching theme here in the text. So Jesus said to them, come and rest up a little. It's like a, a bit of rest. A nap, Right? Um, just come and rest in me. Often think about what, um, what that looks like um, after they experience this journey and they come to Jesus and he desires that they rest. And <clears throat> it, it, it means to rest up, um, to, to kind of look up, to, after um, doing some good work, to remember, right? Um, but to stop, to stop. We remember the idea of Sabbath rest, the idea of a pattern of work and rest, work and rest. Boy, I tell you what, anymore, I, I think, I think um, we live in a time, maybe it's always been this way with humanity, where I, I wonder if they're like us, they came back and they wanted to keep going when Jesus said rest. I, I, wonder, if, I wonder if they were eager to get back out there. And Jesus says, no, no, stop, let's, let's rest, because rest is good. You'll remember in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses the same word here, and he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's the same thing. Come to me, those who are burdened, who are overwhelmed, who are just wore out, and I will give you rest. I think often we get so hung up in the doing of Jesus, we can't rest in Jesus. That's what I think happens. There's so much to do. And I actually believe as we unfold the text a little bit today, we're going to see that that theme continues in spite of the fact that, that Jesus is trying to get his disciples to rest. We're going to see this unfold in, in various ways today. I don't know if you, if you can identify with that at all. Being weary and heavy laden, being weary and burdened. I'm just having one more thing on your plate. One more thing to do. But to those people who are feeling that, Jesus says, come to me. You come to me, and I will give you rest. So picking up in verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Here's the plan. Get on a boat, leave. That's their plan, right? Then because so many people... Oh, verse 32. Okay, 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot... Uh, from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So kind of whenever you're done doing your work, we can learn to rest in Jesus. When we've done what we've been called to do, uh, we can learn to rest in Jesus. But they ran ahead and they got ahead of them. 
And when Jesus landed in 34, and he saw the large crowd gathered. Now, I want to remind you that Jesus had gone away to seek a solitary place. That's what he had been on mission to do. But it says when he saw the large crowd, he had compassion. If you've been here a while, you know that means he was moved in his guts. It, it bothered him in a very deep way. It made him sick to his stomach. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus began to feed them. Know what it says? Yeah. He began to teach them many things. He began to meet the needs that he saw before him. I, it, interesting that when Jesus sees the hungry, sees those who are so desperate for him, that in those moments, he sees sheep without a shepherd. Let me ask, like, what do you, what do you think a shepherd does when he sees a sheep, primarily? What do, you, what do you think? If you're really a shepherd, and you see a sheep, like even now, I was driving down the road the other day, and I saw sheep on the side in a pen. I'm not a shepherd. I don't know what to do with those sheep. They're like sheep. They're out there. I don't know what they're doing. The good thing, the bad thing. I think if I was a shepherd, the first thing I would wonder is, are they being cared for properly? Is that a good pen for them? Is the food that they're eating good food for them? Have they been cared for? Do they have shelter? Do they have safety? Or, or are they, are they um, freaking out and, you know, nervous? Or are they calm? Do they even, and I love what it says here, when he saw them, he saw them as a sheep without shep, a shepherd. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Do they even have someone giving them care? Kind of lays out this idea that whenever the, you know, we think about people coming to Jesus and you think, well, it's because of the healing they came to Jesus. It's because of the miracles that came to Jesus. But maybe it was because for the first time in their life they saw someone who cared for them. Jesus really cares. He's like those other rabbis, those other teachers, the Pharisees, the, the law, law, lawmakers. This guy really cares for us. So when he sees them, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd and does what a shepherd would do, which is begins to teach them. I think that's powerful, and I think we shouldn't miss that. What does Jesus say? A man does not survive by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? Peter, I was writing the song we're singing today. Peter, Jesus said, will you leave me? And Peter said, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Like, it's more than nourishment to us. If I had to skip a meal or skip Jesus, I'm skipping the meal because I'm going to be with Jesus. We're going to see that theme develop today. So Jesus, the great shepherd, begins to teach his people because he loves us. He cares for us. So when we've done everything we can, we can rest in Jesus and his care. Picking up in verse 35 then. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves food to eat, right? So there's a practical need. They've been listening to Jesus. They haven't been fed. No one's done anything. And Jesus says this. My favorite quote in the Bible, by the way. Um, you give them something to eat. The disciples come and they have a plan. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. And they reply to Jesus. They say, that would take eight months' salary of a person's wages. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? 
The funny thing actually is it, it doesn't actually say there's eight months salary. I mean, that's kind of the tr truth, right? What it is is it's 200 days salary to buy bread for these people. It's a denarius, 200 denarius. It's one denarius per day. It's 200 days. That's what it would take to feed these people. And so I was thinking, well, what would that mean today? You see, because the disciples had plan A, which is let's just let them all take care of themselves. Um, Jesus, I know you love these people, but let's just let them take care of themselves. And Jesus turns in this holy moment, and he says to those who are following him, you know what, you feed them. Don't, don't, you, make it your problem. You care for them. And, and in this moment, they have this incredulous, incredulous thing where they say, how could we possibly feed all these people? couple of things I want to remember. These disciples, some of them are the apostles that Jesus sent out with nothing. <laughs> Do you remember the report coming back? Jesus, you won't believe what we did. You won't believe where we went. You believe that. Remember what he said? Don't take your extra fanny pack with you. Don't take an extra hat, you know what I mean? A tunic, a covering, no extra underwear. Like, just go like you are. Remember, shake the dust off your sandals if they won't have you. Depend on people's grace to feed you. These guys had been fed by strangers for a while. And now in the moment when there's an opportunity, they go, hey, go fend for yourselves. You know, this is like their plan. Isn't that interesting? And then I think it's funny because then they have this hyperbole where they say, oh, do you want us to go spend 200 days worth of salary? I was thinking, what would that be? So I guessed first. Average salary, $30,000. Okay, Jesus, you want us to go spend $30,000 to feed these people? To buy them bread? That's what the response is. I think it's a little sarcastic almost, right? And I thought, well, $30,000, is that fair to say it's equivalent? $30,000, 200 days labor? I mean, some of you might be more. It might cost more. Some of you less. I thought this. How about I do some real math and did minimum wage? If you're a minimum wage worker, that, that means this is going to be the least it's going to cost you to feed these people. $14,400. Who's going to write the check? Anybody? To feed those folks? I mean, do you think Jesus was joking? He said, you do it. You do it. Don't send them away to fend for themselves. You take care of them. This week I was reminded of this um, truth in Scripture that after the first murder in the Bible, the very first one, God comes to Cain and he says, where is your brother? And Cain has this famous response. Who am I, my brother's keeper? I don't know where he's at. Right? The question begins, because he's be asked, right? Do I, do I have to care for these people? Who are they to me? Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. And he says, well, it's going to cost us $14,400, and I'm a minimum wage employee, man. How am I going to ever, is that going to work? Um, I, I even wonder, I wonder, church, if they had the money to do it. You remember the disciples, they did have money. They had the money keeper, Judas. He was keeping money. I wonder if he had 200 denarius he could have paid. I mean, maybe it was a real option. And they're like, you want us to take it out of the treasury? Is that what you want? See, all they were seeing is lack. Listen to me. All they were seeing is what they didn't have. They didn't have it. And, and, and maybe they did, and they said, want to give it up, right? So then Jesus goes on, right, after this. So they have this moment with Jesus. It's kind of this exasperated moment. What, do you want us to go out and spend this kind of money? Maybe you think they didn't have it. Maybe you think they did. But either way, Jesus asks a very simple question. He says, what do you have left? What do you have? How many, how many loaves do you have right here in front of you? Go and see. That's what he said. And they went and they counted. And they said, this is what we got. Five loaves and two fish. That's what we got, right? For, I guess, the apostles and disciples. That was the plan. That's all they're going to eat. 
And Jesus directed to have everyone, listen to the word, sit down in groups on the green grass. I think that's a beautiful phrase, on the green grass. Just have a seat on the green grass. Remember, they're looking for a solitary place, a place away from everybody. Now they got this crowd around them as they get out of the boat. And he says, just have them all sit down. Later on, we're going to find out 5,000 people, at least, sitting on grass in tens and fifties and hundreds, in groups, small groups. But Jesus has them sit down. And it says, taking the five loaves the disciples had and the two fish and looking up to heaven, right? He gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. There's lots of things happening here that we want to catch, okay? And then they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish afterwards. The number of men who had eaten were 5,000. So a couple things that we notice in process here is the first thing is that Jesus takes what they have left. They go, this is what we have, right? And, and he looks to heaven and he eucharistos it. He gives thanks for it. God, thank you for five loaves and two fish. And then he breaks it. And this is what's interesting to me because he had all the people sit down, right? And Jesus has done miracle and miracle and miracle. And you remember he sent these guys out to, to proclaim his kingdom, to preach in his name, to heal the sick. And he gave the food to the disciples to give to the crowds. Isn't that interesting? Maybe you think, well, it's just efficiency, right? But no. What is it that these disciples keep coming back to Jesus? I can't even imagine the first trip you make and you come back and he's got more to give you. You're like, okay, what's, how, what's going on here? What is going on here? And they would continue to make these trips. I don't know how long it takes to feed 5,000 men. I would think a while. <laughs> I mean, the timeline of the Bible, I, so I think it would take a while. I've seen us serve the pregnancy care center banquets coming up, right? We serve like, what, 300 people there. It takes us like an hour to serve them all their food. 5,000 people? It would take a while. The how many people were volunteering. But they continue to go and continue to serve the, the fish and the loaves to the people. And then the word of God has this ridiculous statement right in the middle of it. It says they all ate, right? And they all were satisfied. I mean, one of, the funny things about, one of the funny things about Christians, I'll say this, is that sometimes we're so worried about being offensive to other people that we will just take. Have you ever been in a meal and there's not a lot of food? You ever had a, gone to a potluck, you know, and there's more people than food has showed up and everyone feels a little bad about it and they're like, well, I'm just going to have a half a bowl of soup today or I'm just going to have a, a cracker and I'm going to wait until everybody else goes through the line. I've seen hosts do it over and over again where they, they won't get in line to eat themselves because they think, well, there's not going to be enough for the guests. I'm just going to wait and see what's left at the end. And, and then, you know, and I've had the experience, I kid you not, where you get to the end and there's plenty of food. I'm not saying it's a miracle, but there's plenty of food at the end. You're all worried about it. But I want you to know that, there, that the word here says that they all ate and they didn't just go, okay, I'll have it. Oh, I'm, so, oh, I'm so full, that morsel. Woo, Jesus, that's all. No, they were satiated, man. I'm not saying they were eating like gordos, you know. I'm not saying that, but they, but they were satiated. They had eaten enough. He had fed 5,000 with the loaves and the fish. Don't miss it. There was no lack in Jesus. There was no lack in his plan. There was no, you know, wanting because he satisfies his people. He satisfies the disciples. He satisfies all those who are gathered, the sheep without a shepherd. He satisfies them. I love that. Love it. So after this great command of, you know what, you feed them, the next thing is they all ate and were satisfied. They were all satisfied. 
Then the disciples go around, and interestingly, and Dale mentioned this last week, I believe it was, the number 12. Interestingly, after the food has been all distributed, Jesus goes, there's leftovers, guys. Go get the leftovers and bring it back. And they collect 12 basketfuls of fish and loaves, which I always kind of thought was just a, it would be hard for me, having just told Jesus this was impossible, right? Having just told Jesus, you want us to spend $14,400 to buy food for these people? To come back to Jesus with a basket full of food that's enough for each person who was doubting it could happen. Twelve, right? There's probably more followers there, more disciples there, but there's twelve basketfuls. Another connection, of course, twelve tribes of Israel. That God has provision enough for all his people. There's a bigger, there's an analogy behind it, right? There's a bigger truth, man, that there's no lack at the feet of Jesus. There's no lack in the kingdom of God. There's no lack of provision for the people of God. You, you have to see that. It's not just there's enough food to feed the 5,000, there's enough food to feed the disciples, but it also means there's enough food to feed all of God's people, that all the provision that's made. And you can't read anything that Jesus is teaching now without having a mind toward the cross and the sacrifice made for all Israel, for all God's people. There's provision enough for everyone. Sometimes we act like Jesus is a scarce resource, not enough to go around. Or, God help us, we think, if I share the little I have, what will I have left? How will I eat? If I won't be generous with what I still have in my hand. And that's what I wanted to say is that we can learn to rest in Jesus when we are afraid to share the little that we have left. That's interesting to me. When you have nothing left to give, God, I've given and I've given and I've given. And I hear that voice saying, but what do you have? Well, I got this. Well, will you trust me with it? Will you trust me with it? And then Jesus goes on to multiply that blessing to many, many people. And there's still stuff left over. Still stuff left over. So we have, have this teaching. The 5,000 are fed. And then this is verse 45 now. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat. I love the turn of phrase there. And go ahead of him on to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Um, by the way, I think Bethsaida is like house, house of fish or something. <laughs> so like he's sending them off to this place where it's going to be like all the food you could want. And so he makes the disciples get in and, and set sail without him while he goes back to dismiss the crowd. And then I want you to see this in verse 46. After doing all these things, remember he said, I'm going to a solitary place. After doing all these things, it says in verse 46, Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray. I just lo I love that. After all this activity and these people, remember earlier it said they came back and there were so many people they couldn't even get any food he says, I'm going to take you to a place of rest. And, and then he takes them out, and there's people there too. And who's going to feed these people? How are we going to do it? And then they end up all eating. Everyone eats until they're satisfied. And now in this moment, it says, Jesus then, having sent away the disciples, oh, and get this, sending away the crowds. He did both, didn't he? Jesus goes up a mountain, and he falls on his face before his Father in heaven. And he prays. I love it. 
You know, often you think about Jesus taking those loaves and giving Eucharist or thanking. You know, that's where we get Eucharist or communion, that remembrance, that breaking of bread, the celebration. That's why we should pray before we break bread of the meal together. God, we thank you for this. We thank you for the gift of this food. That's what we do, right? It's Eucharisto. It's, it's, it's recognizing the divine and the ordinary. But when Jesus goes up this mountain, it's different. He's on his face. He's worshiping his Father. He's gone away to a solitary place. I think we have, there's some instruction in that. Jesus spending time alone. Listen, after all the activity, to be quiet with God and just worship Him. Worship Him. I don't know if in your life you have that space. I mean, I love coming here but to, with all of you, right? I love worshiping together. But do you have time that you're just alone with God and you just worship Him? You just celebrate who he is, whether that looks like singing to you, or it looks like maybe listening to scripture, listening to someone preach, or, or just driving quietly, or, or walking quietly around, I mean, just thinking, observing. I walked outside this morning, and I heard this crazy bird. I don't know what it was. It was like, maybe it was a uh, woodpecker. I don't know. It, it sounded like uh, you took uh, something, and you shook it, blah, 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 like that, but like, click, click, click. I can't do it. Like, click, 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 click. I can't do it. Made us crazy. What is that? Is that a woodpecker? Do I know? What? Probably. I thought you said it was a robin. I'll mess up the whole thing. You know what's funny about that silly bird? I almost said stupid bird. That silly bird, smarter than me, right? It's made me remember God in that moment. Oh, God's whole creation is up this morning worshiping Him. I'm going to go to middle school and worship. That bird is up there and he's worshiping God the way he's made. He's worshiping God. Believe it. It's a sign. It's his call to recognize and celebrate who Jesus is, who God is, the totality of his care. And we ought to find, I love that sometimes being out alone. Some of you guys are hunters have said that, being out in the woods. You just, you just recognize God when you're out there. Find time to do those things. Jesus goes up the mountain, up the mountainside to pray by himself. Verse 47, we're going to wrap up here. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake. Remember the boat? The disciples went out in the boat, right? And he was alone on land, as Jesus was still back on the mountainside. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake, and he was about to pass by. So I want to get the scene here, right? He sent them out a long time before, the fourth watch of the night. It's like the middle of the night. So they've been, they've been trying for a while to get across the lake to Bethsaida. Remember, that's where they were supposed to be going? And, and he... he, he sees them from the land out there straining against the oars. Um, the, uh, the, the futility of what they're doing, you know. I said earlier, being wore out is kind of having done what you were able to do. This is, this is different. These guys are just straining. They're just rowing. They're just fighting. And there's nothing quite as demoralizing as fighting against wind. You can fight against a lot of things, but when you're like kind of fighting against nature, it's like the most overwhelming experience and they're just paddling and paddling and paddling and paddling and they can't get to where Jesus said they were supposed to go the word actually says that they were tortured by the wind they were tormented by the constant oppression the constant resistance they have these orders they can't fulfill them another way it's interpreted is they were being tested how when, when are you going to quit just quit and let it blow you back to shore. Just quit. They won't quit, but they can't make it. They're just wore 
out. They're wore out. And in the fourth watch of the night, it says, in the middle of their exhaustion, Jesus walks out on the water and he begins to pass by. But when they saw him, in verse 49, walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. So now they're like delirious at this point. And you would think they might recognize Jesus is on the water again, <laughs> right? But, but they're sitting there and they're paddling, they're rowing, and they're, there's Jesus. And they think he's a ghost. They're freaked out. They're out of their minds. So immediately Jesus speaks to them. He says, look, listen to what he says. Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he climbs into the boat with them. And at this, the wind dies down. So the wind just stops blowing. And it says this. And this is the troubling verse. This is the verse, the reason I wanted to put all this together today. It says this. They were completely amazed. It means they were out of their mind. They were beside themselves. They couldn't, they were stupefied. They were just like shock and awe. They couldn't understand why. 52 says this. Because they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. You see, Jesus keeps doing this to the disciples. He keeps saying, you know, I'm going to give you rest. Come this way. And there's all this chaos in this, and they can't find the rest in Jesus. They can't seem to get comfortable with the idea that he is going to make a way, a provision for them. And in, in the, the people in the field, they can't eat. And you know, how are we going to do this? And then Jesus makes a way for them. And it says here, and this is uh, amazing to me, but it says here that in the middle of the water, they were completely amazed by what Jesus did because they did not understand what he just did with the bread. They don't get it. That Jesus is making a way. That Jesus is going to make a way. And so this idea that when we're completely exhausted, when we're completely wore out, maybe you're like the disciples, you're in that boat and you're paddling, but you just ain't going nowhere and you're wore out, you're tired. The truth is that we can learn to rest in Jesus in that moment because Jesus has a plan. He has a way. And they, they, they have to learn that. And the word says that their hearts were hard against that idea hearts were hard that Jesus would make a way for them so as they're and just think about the reality after all that time struggling and straining and fighting the wind you know just not making any progress Jesus gets in the boat and the wind's gone no more straining no more struggling right look at verse 53 quietly says and when they crossed over they landed in Gesenaret and anchored there They've arrived. Different destination, interestingly enough, right? But they've arrived. This whole experience, this whole sending out, coming back, um, telling them, we're going to find some rest. People not getting able to food. And then how are we going to feed these people? Now in the boat in the middle. It's all about training, teaching disciples of his sufficiency. And that the truth is that we, we have time, that we must, we must, we must learn to rest in Jesus, rest in him. And maybe you're not like me. Maybe you don't find that hard to do at all. That's that thing that nags me all the time. And, and do I believe that Jesus is enough? Do I believe that he is making a way? Whenever there's no signs that that is the case. See, here they were, they're exhausted. And Jesus makes a way for them to cross over, just like he said. And then the last chapter here, the fourth part, is look at the needs. 54, as soon as they get out of the boat, now I want you to think about the, the day the disciples have had, right? 
they were back from the trip. They were all day with Jesus in the boat. Then they were feeding people all night. Then they were or all evening. Then they were rowing the boat all night. Then they show up in the, probably the morning. And here is the scene they, they get. It says, as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. And they ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats wherever they heard he was. See, at first I thought they run was the disciples. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. The disciples got out of the boat and started running. Let's run with Jesus. No, it means that the crowds, when they saw Jesus, began to run to Jesus. It says all over the place, carrying the sick on mats wherever they heard that Jesus was. When they would find Jesus coming, they would just run to Jesus. It was exhausting work. And whenever Jesus went, wherever he went, in the villages, towns, and countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They just set him out, right, where they were selling stuff. And they begged him to let them touch even the edges of his cloak because everyone who touched him was healed. This insatiable need. Thinking about, um, maybe that's true for you. I don't know, right? Maybe it's... Um, co-workers you just feel like oh there's never enough time in the day for this maybe it's family members you think i just give and give and give and you know and the need the need the need maybe it's a neighbor maybe it's a family member who doesn't know jesus and you just really struggle so much and there's all oh, the needs are so great right but i want you to see that in this moment and this is all jesus training his disciples in this moment like that jesus continues to advance into that space and the disciples have i, I can't imagine how tired they are but all they can do is just go, it's Jesus. This is what Jesus does. And so when the needs are overwhelming, the disciples learn to rest in him. When there's more to be done in the day that could possibly get done, the disciples just got to go, man, I got to rest in Jesus. I just have to rest in Jesus. Hmm. Maybe it's not the disciples. Maybe it's us. And maybe we go and we go and we go. Strive and strive fight. How are we going to do this? Overwhelmed. And we need to rest in Jesus. What part of your life, like today, for real, you've just been battling the wind, you've just been fighting, fighting, and you need to rest in Jesus? Or what part of your life are you just like incredulous, like, this is never going to (laughs) work. This is not going to happen. There's not enough financial provision for this. There's no way forward. You need to learn to rest in Jesus. Maybe you've come off a great success. You're just charged like, yeah, I'm going to go again. But you haven't stopped to rest in him. Or those needs are too much to bear. I want to encourage you today to learn to rest in Jesus. Um, There's this uh, quote from Jesus on the cross. Hebrews makes the same case. It says when he's hanging there, the word Jesus says is tetelestai. It's finished. It's finished. The work. Hebrews reiterates, reiterates that when it says like that um, Jesus died once for all so sins be forgiven. He completed the work and entered the sanctuary. Tetelestai, the words of Jesus. It is finished. It's done. Today I just want to pray that we could all, myself too, embrace that truth that we can learn to live in that space with Jesus where we can rest in him even as we work and even as we wear out and even as we have a little left we could learn to rest in Jesus I don't know maybe you're maybe you're still struggling like I just want to say you know for the record maybe you're still struggling you're like 
I don't even trust Jesus, and I don't know who Jesus is, um, but you feel that you're stuck in your sin. You know, you feel that, that burden of your sin still weighing on you. Like, you know you screwed up. You know you haven't lived right. You know you've broken. You know you've known better and you've still done the wrong thing. Or you've known what you should do and you haven't done it. And you just feel the weight and the burden of our, of our sin. And I just want to say today that if that's you, I encourage you to look to the cross and that word tetelestai because it is finished. He died that we would be free from sin, not that we would labor under it, not that we would carry a burden. He said, not to carry what burden it wasn't ours, right? He said, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus is with us. He died to forgive us. If you don't know that today, I pray that you would rest with that first. God, I'm tired. I'm tired. You just say that prayer. Like, I'm tired of bearing my, bearing my sin. I'm tired of carrying it. I know I've screwed up, and I need you just to take that from me, lift it from me today. God will answer that prayer. He actually um, sent his son to die so that he could. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father, we thank you so much today for your word. We thank you for those who've gone before us, who've shown us the way. We thank you for the truth that this journey is um, complex, but it's with you. And Father, I just want to pray against the hard-heartedness that we all have, uh, that tendency to miss the point, to not see who you are, your sufficiency, your nourishment, your love for us. Indeed, Father, if there are those here who can't see the glory of the cross and the sacrifice made that man could be free from sin and death, be raised to new life, that today you would open the eyes of those who don't see it. And for those of us who do, may we just bask in the glory of the cross today. You are so good. You've given so much. And who are we to think we can do more than you? May you be glorified, Father God. May you forgive us for the way um, we continually uh, miss the point and sin against you. May you help us to be obedient followers of yours. We thank you for the witness of saints among us who show us the way forward. Father, today, help us to surrender it all to you. Help us to trust you entirely with it. I pray that we would believe in you as Savior. We would trust in your blood to cover all of our sins. And that we would just rest in you in our lives. We would live a life of um, restful exhaustion. You're, you're worthy. You're good. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.